0: You said falling out of love with it. And I I can appreciate that because I'm a real passionate, emotional guy. Might have picked up on that. And so I, I was like dead set. I won't do anything unless I'm just passionate about it. And one of the things that was taught to me was like, you don't have to be passionate about the widgets you're making or just the output of the thing, but passionate about how you do it. What, what version of yourself do you bring to your work? How are you elevating the people around you? Are you leading? Is the room better when you walk in? So mm-hmm. that it, okay, we make widgets or I make Yetis or I make iPhones or whatever. Who cares what it is? Yeah. And then your success there can feed your passion projects mm-hmm. as a podcaster, as an artist, as a singer, a writer, whatever. So that's one of the little balancing tricks that I've found. <clears throat> Three, two,
1: one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. On today's episode, I am joined by Brian Sharp. Brian is a B2B technology executive and entrepreneur with 25 years of experience building startups and early-stage companies in roles ranging from founder to C-level executive. Along the way, he has experienced great success and devastating loss and everything in between, but fortunate to have and have been mentored, supported, and loved and coached by some of the best and most talented humans in the world. Currently he serves as the president for Safety Chain Software, a fast-growing SaaS startup in the manufacturing sector as well as the president for a 501c3 nonprofit by his kids, the Tower of Niceness that provides the niceness for those in need. When he's not working, I'm building his own company and teams. You'll find him working on his passions to help others do the same through writing on his blog, Help and Hustle, as well as hosting his own podcast, High Performance Happiness, both of which are dedicated to helping leaders balance the art of building better companies and living better lives. He lives in Northern California and is advancing. He lives in Northern California with his amazingly supportive wife with two energetic boys and an adorable daughter who runs the house. He's a diehard San Francisco sports fan and loves anything to do with board sports or water. So, outside the office, you'll likely find him with his kids on a mountain bike and on a hike, paddling on a lake, or snowboarding down a mountain at their happy place, Lake Tahoe. Three, two, one. I had a really great time talking to Brian. He's incredibly open with his, not only his successes, but also his failures and how he's worked to improve his own life and understanding his own shortcomings. And I think we can take a lot of experiences from him and Brian calls himself a builder, but then about three quarters of the way through this conversation, he kind of changes it and says, in fact, he's a rebuilder. And I think, If you're doing anything right or if you're pushing yourself, rebuilding is just part of the process of building. No matter how far you get, there will always be ways you can improve what you've already done. And at times, the only way to start over or the only way to get better is to start over. And I think Brian is a prime example of that. And as this conversation attests is we could have gone for much longer than we did and I'm looking forward to a round two or even appearing on his own podcast in the future. And so with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Brian Sharp. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. On today's episode, we're joined by Brian Sharp. Hi, Brian.
0: Hey, welcome. Thank you. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm welcoming myself. I'm glad to be here.
1: How are you? I'm doing great. This is... Awesome. Yeah. It's in weird times given COVID and all of that kind of stuff, but the making the most of it by being able to leverage the power of Zoom in a more fun way than just being in normal work meetings.
0: <laughs> I know. I was just giving you a hard time. Like it's fun to be on this side. So that's why I got to welcome you for once. So, I know, right? Welcome, welcome <laughs> to your, uh, your community. No, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. very humbled. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yeah, me too. I've been seeing you, your work specifically helpful. Help and hustle is what I see most of the time. But yeah. if you can go ahead and explain what you do besides that to just start.
0: Yeah, what do I? I feel like I got to explain that at home every night. Like, what do you do all day? <laughs> so, I think first and foremost, most important for me, uh, husband. So, I've been married uh, to my beautiful bride here for 16 years. Wow. And we have three awesome kids. I've got 14, 12 year old boys and a nine year old daughter. Who uh, runs the show as she should follow anything I do on social media she's my outdoor buddy so I'm a big outdoor enthusiast live in northern California in the foothills going towards Tahoe outside Sacramento anything I can do on a board or a bike or water I'm all for so that's where I spend most of my time when I'm not building companies and teams so on my other side of my life that's what I've done for the last 25 years. I'm at that age now, Eric, where I like, I have to do the math, but yeah. So I did it the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, I can now say 25 years. So 25 years have been building businesses, small and, and medium size mostly, and mm-hmm. spent the better half of the last decade in SaaS software space mm-hmm. where I serve as an executive and as president of a, a fast growing software company. And, the manufacturing space
1: and learning a lot
0: and (laughs) in the deep end of the pool right now, man, but it's fun and uh, really grateful for the opportunities that have been been afforded. So
1: that's awesome. It's interesting to hear just the stories of people that have gotten into broadly entrepreneurship before it became what everyone sees it today as on social media. It's such a big buzzword (laughs) with everything where it's, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm just curious is what was it that drove you to it? Because- it's not one of those things that there's really, I'm going to say a buzzword, a playbook for it because everyone's right, journey right. is different. So it it, is. you can take lessons from other people, but you can't really, once you get bit by it, you have your own journey to take and figure out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me, it's a little bit in the DNA. So my dad has been, was a lifelong business owner. So I, I grew up in a world where I saw that. I saw the bad challenging side to it. Mm-hmm. Get into that if you want. Yeah, um, definitely. It's not... Puppy dogs and ice cream, man, it's hard. I saw, I remember before memes, right, there used to be this catchphrase around entrepreneurs that say, I started my own business so I didn't have to work 40 hours a week for someone else. Instead, I work 80 hours a week for myself. It's hard. It's not an easy path. You have to be wired for it. So part of that, I think, was being around it a little bit. I think Mm -hmm. part of it was just in my DNA. I'm a little bit of a hustler. So as a kid, like, I was always looking for an angle. So I was the kid (laughs) who made the flyers to do your i did i had paper routes when i was 11 and back when we used to do paper mm-hmm. routes look i sound old again <laughs> i had i did i did everything you could to like hustle like i mm-hmm. did uh, like i used to do yard work for neighbors and then that kind of grew and i was a dj when i was in eighth grade and i dj our mm-hmm. own dances and and then i started If for those on the audience i i don't know if this really did myself but i had an amway business when i was like 18 years old wow. right so it was Doing that cause so it was just in my DNA to try stuff. And you're mm-hmm. right, I got hooked. <laughs> and I had a really supportive mom who was like, sure, do it, go for it. So mm-hmm. that was pretty I was allowed to like test and fail and try all kinds of crazy stuff. That's so, so cool.
1: It's such a different story, even for myself. I never really thought I'd be the kind of person that would just do something crazy like this. And by mm-hmm. this, this podcast and putting myself out there with just the internet in general and yeah. and just cutting my teeth on things and It's something that now it just feels so innate to to who I am that I just, I I know I'm going to do something like this in some form, even if it's not in this name, but it's just like the medium of being able to try and fail, like putting everything on the table and say, let's just try and do something crazy. And even if I don't make money, then whatever.
0: (laughs) And I think that's, I don't know. I think that's one of the things like if if that should be a litmus test for it for anything. So I think one early mentor of mine always said that your income will always be directly proportional to the size of problem you can solve. Mm. So if you can only solve, do you want fries with that, you're going to be paid appropriately. Mm -hmm. tell this to my kids all the time. I said, if you figure out how to solve a big problem in the world, you're going to be paid appropriately. So your your that competition may come at a later date, it'll smack you upside the head when you don't even realize it when you have to make a decision between mm-hmm. your career and <laughs> this crazy thing but you're doing it and that's mm-hmm. the really the exciting part of it so i don't think it's crazy at all or sideways i think it's but let me ask you a quick question yeah go ahead. like when someone asks you what do you do, mm-hmm. do you hesitate to talk about this part do you think of yourself first as this or as your you know career?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, I would say I would lean more on being even I even gotten further from just saying like podcaster or something like that. I would say I'm more of like a thinker and and like, like something like that, where it's less to do about what it is that I'm doing than more of just what I appreciate. And that's playing with ideas and playing with the The, like the tagline that I've summed or taken out of this or extracted over the last few years because of the work with the different mindset principles, it's the blueprints to live better. That's what the point of this is. And it's like, forces me to use the idea of like forging a sword almost. It's like, how do you take ideas? Because I'm, I like the idea of just absorbing information so much that I could just do that forever. Like I could just- be lost in just absorbing stuff as you can see my bookshelf behind me i like it and so the idea is like forces me to push that through and solidify it and make it accessible to more people because i know that most people aren't going to put the effort in to make it accessible but if you simplify it enough or distill it down then it can maybe spark that thing like oh wait maybe i should actually go find go down that rabbit hole and so that's where where I go with these kind of things. It's so layers to it now because I've always been this introverted person that just thinks about the world broadly.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I've never answered a question. I'm a thinker. I love how you put that. So that's good. I dig it. So very, very cool. Because it's interesting. I, I meet a lot of pe- my wife, same way. She's a writer, but mm-hmm. doesn't, and she's very talented and, but she doesn't always, you know, like to. I should probably get in trouble even for talking about it. But it's, but I think people who actually have that talent, they don't see it or recognize it in mm-hmm. themselves. It, it, there is that tipping point where all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I can say I'm a podcaster. I'm a thinker. <laughs> I'm a creator. I'm a whatever. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Say it, do it.
1: It's an interesting idea because it's, I've always thought about this. like, how do you know the difference between being an amateur or a professional? Yeah. And, and it's, is it when you first start getting paid to do something? Because hmm. it's a hard in this, especially in this world right now, where it's so yeah. easy to put value out in the world, but never see a dollar for it anymore. With the way the internet's monetized, and you, you yeah. know, are subsidized basically by ad models. But there's a lot. Of, can I cuss on here? Or
0: yeah, is yeah, that yeah. a bad thing? Yeah. Nope. There's a lot of yeah. shitty content out there, though. So there's a lot of people making money that are not adding value. They're great mm-hmm. marketers. Yes, I don't know. I I think you can become a pro when it comes your attention to the craft. That's the mm-hmm. way I look at. it. I think there's more people I'd take advice from that wouldn't consider themselves a, a pro, but they're mm-hmm. really generating great content. What you're doing is a great example. Go grab 10 random podcasts and look at the value of the content. I think yeah. your attention to detail and the craft
1: is what separates people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, that's my go ahead and unpack craft for you. What is your what do you see yourself as your craft then? Oh, man.
0: Yeah, I knew you were going to have good questions for me. Yeah, <laughs> ready for? I what? How do I look at craft? That's a great
1: question. I yeah, we can start broad and then you can narrow it down as you think yeah, further. Yeah. I,
0: so I, I would I think of a guy that I really respect, who challenged me on this one time, and then he answered it for himself, and I thought, oh wow, that's that's really that's really cool. And I think he's similar. He's very much a thinker. He's a creator. I think for me, my craft is. Build, I'm a builder, mm. right? I love to build stuff, build companies. That's, that's a build an idea. Mm-hmm. I, I lose a little bit of interest in the day-to-day, like just monotonous. So I like the challenge as hard as it is probably why I've stayed in the small business and startup world, because mm-hmm. it's like you gotta be a glutton for punishment in this. So I, I'd like to think of myself as a builder. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the the craft. And I think if you were to drill down, like specifically or more tactically, it's probably more about more about building small business, like scaling small, yeah. small sized businesses. Yeah. I think that's where my sweet spot is, or my craft is understanding when you walk into. A business. Not I'm not the guy who's going to create the widget. Mm-hmm. I'm not an inventor. I'm not a coder. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I can walk in and understand once it's up and going. Yeah, where the cracks are and and start to formulate pretty quickly what the strategy is to stabilize mm-hmm. and start to grow it. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if that makes no. Sense. It, that absolutely Great question makes, and hard
1: to answer. No, for. that absolutely makes sense. Just from my engineering background, I understand it because for me, it's, I, I, when I think of engineering, I think of frameworks. No matter what kind of engineer Mm -hmm. you are, you think in frameworks, you're given a typical solution set, and this is how you solve problems. Not every problem is going to be solved the same way. And it sounds like you can apply that same thing to small and medium-sized businesses where you can look and see, oh yeah, here's your problem you're dealing with right now. And you can nudge them to put the proper processes or or systems in place that can alleviate those weak points, especially I'm sure... From your own experience and just working with people, you've seen how small businesses want to retain, be too controlling. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's a huge deficit for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs because they, I hear it a lot with people is if you want something done, do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is true to to a degree, but then you got to learn how to give that up at some point. I would love for you to unpack that part of it or like just any like common issues with small businesses.
0: Yeah, it depends on the type you're talking about. If you're talking about the solopreneur or your more traditional entrepreneur that maybe maybe they're a consultant or maybe mm-hmm. they've got a side hustle or do whatever. You're absolutely They combine themselves with the business. There's mm-hmm. no it gets so fuzzy and gray that there's no separation. And it is difficult to think beyond that. And I think the phrase that I've often used is, and I'll just add to that, I think one of the things mm-hmm. from my background is watching my father built a very successful company, Mm -hmm. but paid the price, right? Because he was the company. Yeah. And so I think one of my learnings was understanding, I want to build stuff that's bigger than me, that doesn't require me. And I've done that in some ways. I've failed miserably (laughs) at that in other ways. It's easy to say, harder to execute. Mm -hmm. I know you're big on books. I think one of the best books in this space is uh, by Michael Gerber called E-Myth Concept, right? Of how do you actually scale a business and it's got to go beyond you? So mm-hmm. phrase I've used when I've done some consulting or even I just joked recently, I hired a, a VP of marketing. I came into this last company at the VP of marketing level
1: mm-hmm. and
0: taken over as president. I ran both roles for a while and I hired a new VP of marketing who's way better than me <laughs> earlier this year. So I've been telling everybody I'm so excited. I got fired. So my goal is to build the systems and the processes enough mm-hmm. to fire myself into the next role. And and so I think that's you if you can think about that framework for a business, I think that's the slippery slope when you're not thinking about trying to build towards that. And Mm -hmm. you're just like there's a limiting factor on how much you can do. And that is the that is a formula for burnout. Yeah (laughs) for sure.
1: Definitely that's really interesting. I really like that idea of firing yourself. I've heard it said in similar ways of find your replacement or create your replacement. Yeah. And it's not something that most of us think about. And it, I think it may be it's part of an older generation, because I still deal with this in my day job, where people are less than for com- forthcoming with providing information to especially younger people, Being mm. me being that younger person most of the time. They yeah. don't want to provide too much information for you be, to you because they feel like if they give away whatever it is that they do well, then they won't be valued down the line. Oh, wow. And it's like hard. an older mentality. It's it's like yeah. from two, maybe three generations ago because these people are, yeah. some of them are about my parents' age. So it's much older mentality that I'm just not used to in, in general because my idea is that if you want someone to succeed, it's I would love to go find that old older person and just listen to what everything they've experienced, kind of like the reason right. this podcast, because yeah. you get to learn so much outside of the systems inside of the business, but you learn how they've solved problems and then right. you can wrap them into your own thing so that when you see a problem come up that doesn't fit the handbook, all of a sudden right. you have a, something to, <laughs> to lean on. And I think yeah. most of us, especially too, I think younger people downplay that too, yeah. that that trap knowledge that doesn't get written in books and doesn't translate via email or whatever format. It's just trapped inside their brain and they'd never get a chance to tell anybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And, and I, I don't even know, I hadn't thought about it as a generational thing. I guess I could see that happening, particularly in engineering, but I think mm-hmm. it's a leadership thing, right? If you're the smartest person in the room yeah. or you're not building someone to be a better leader and builder or whatever it is than you are, mm-hmm. you're, that's your job, right? You should always... I think the further up you go in an organization you're you you let go more and more of that it's less about you every the higher you go yeah and I think if you look at the most successful CEOs people I'd really admire as leaders, I just, I'm like, how do they do that? I would want everyone to know all the things I just accomplished, like that ego <laughs> is still there, but to be successful, you've got to eject all of that mm. stuff. Yeah, I can see how people still struggle with that, but I don't know if it's generational as much as it's just being a great leader and cultivating that, that culture where, they know their job's not at stake if you go make Eric better than you were. In fact, now you're more valuable because go do that to the next three Erics. And yep. <laughs> that's that's great. We want that DNA going.
1: Yeah. I've always been like kind of person who, how do you make things better for the people coming up? I started doing this because, not inadvertently, but because I worked through school. So I was an engineer. I was a technician and in school at the same time. And so wow. I had this really interesting interplay where I got to see how students reacted in in a learning environment but didn't have the actual lab component of actually working at an engineering lab. Hmm. We do third party testing so I I was basically even though I wasn't really doing stuff that was applied to my like in school as much like the, it didn't translate but it was the mindset that translated the attention to detail the the problem solving the able to communicate things in a concise way so that customers knew how things passed or failed and then helping them work through problems. And so I got this ability to see how students react and they would over-focus on the wrong things, looking at like these minute details that don't do anything. They, they help you pass an, a test or an exam, but they don't translate to engineering skill or to yeah. even just dealing with a customer at the right. end of the day. But communicating is so important in general, like not just to peers, but to the pe- person who's going to want that information that may not even be an engineer the, yeah. at, at the end of the day too. So it's there's all these embedded skills that I just saw that I was just like, man, the education system is lacking in, in, in both mm-hmm. respects, right? Like how businesses teach incoming workers and then how the school system teaches those who are going to work in that field. <laughs> and so it's like these interlocking things. It's like the gears aren't meshing properly, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, don't p- downplay the importance of communicate. I don't think it's o- overrated or overplayed or overstated. I, so I didn't go to college I, or I really? didn't graduate college. Got right? it. I did uh, a year and a half, maybe two years a- at a community college. And then mm-hmm. I was off and doing my thing. But, but I had a different path. A different, Definitely. Different set of goals in mind. But it was interesting. But, it, but I always wear that. I own that. I think about it. Mm-hmm. So the other day I flew into a meeting last week. And I was looking at the invites and I'm looking at people on LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh my God, there's more PhDs in this room than people, really smart engineers and IT people and all this stuff. And I'm like, why did they send me to this meeting? So I <laughs> joked, I even joked on my way into the meeting, I'm going to dazzle with my two years of community college, you watch, but it wasn't ultimately what wins the day is connection mm-hmm. and understanding and empathy and problem-solving, and then you get the right bodies in the room to solve the the difficult technicals. Definitely. I've had to lean on that. I don't have the chops Mm -hmm. technically or the degrees or the letters behind my name by any means. The
1: alphabet soup. I've heard it called.
0: (laughs) I I tried to add a college to LinkedIn called the School of Hard Knocks, but it wouldn't let me put it as a college. So. We do have that on Facebook, though. Facebook, you do anything you want. That's amazing. (laughs)
1: We're
0: buying it. Yeah, that's my college. You know,
1: it it is interesting because so I I went to community college for two years and that's I got my associate's degree in the same thing I have my bachelor's in. And so for me, I actually think I learned more in community college than I learned in my remaining time in school. For one thing, it's making me feel better. Yeah, it's to how my particular degree was set up. And it was very much designed around hands-on applicative science. I yeah. had professors that were all former engineers, all loved the science, of, loved engineering as a category, not just mm-hmm. wanted, but they also loved imparting that knowledge to their students. Right. I, I can say for a fact that one of my first teachers that taught intro to electronics was the best math teacher I ever had. Which says a lot. <laughs> he, he like was that able was to cool. impart this love of using math as a problem solving system that you don't get in traditional high school math. Yeah. Because it was like this way to overlay abstract math onto the engineering stuff and be like math is a tool. Math isn't just this boring thing with abstract numbers. It's boom.
0: And so I was, hey, it, let me go get my kids so they can hear this. This is really good. We're in that. We're in that like I'm not going to college phase. So I gotta get. I'm gonna bring oh, that's great. I like the way you look at that. That's good.
1: Yeah, that's just how I look at everything though, because I think good teachers, like in any realm, good teachers are the ones that will lay a breadcrumb trail for you. Yeah. And they're just there. They can tell you're interested, and not everyone's going to be interested, but the ones that right. are, they're going to be able to latch onto it and then run with it and i and i think too that just because you don't go to college doesn't mean you're not smart or not able to excel in general because there's a lot of very smart people that don't see the necessity of going to get yeah just yeah. different
0: i always joke with my buddies so i just have this great smart group of, of buddies and really just admire what they've accomplished but i always go we're all going to end up at the same beach i'm just taking a different road right <laughs> like that's what i keep telling them so I'll, go, I'll get there my road is windy and rocky and there's cliffs and rocks, <laughs> but i'll get there i'll get there they've I, got the highway or it feels like it to me they've got the highway i've got to go in the like the bus on the wonky <laughs> cliff
1: yeah like,
0: doobie do style so yeah
1: yeah it's interesting right like it's easy to look at other people and say, maybe my path isn't the best. And it's, I don't know what you'd have to say to that because when you have- oh, How much
0: like, time do you got? Yeah, I know. A I,
1: podcast on this time. Because it's, to me, yeah. it's interesting because I look at even the path that I've taken. It took me seven years to get through school to go yeah. through, to, to hit that. And then as I was finishing, I started doing this this show, which was my way of, okay, this is going to be your, your next, you know, big project because yeah. you yeah, go yeah. through these- stages of life, whatever they turn into. And I just wanted to actually have something waiting in the wings so I could not be complacent. Good for you. And so I'm just curious if you had any ideas of there's always that next thing around the corner for.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, I've put a lot of time on this one. I, so I struggle with it. I think that especially, I'm not sure where you live at. So I live, as I said, Northern California, Mm -hmm. grew up in the Bay area. I think everybody has founded a bazillion dollar startup it's like you go it just it's crazy it's like living in la and it feels like everybody starred in a movie Mm -hmm. it's the same thing up here so you go to a conference you don't hear from the folks in the trenches you hear from the folks that are like oh you know what i'm really focused on being happy you're like yeah but where were you seven or eight years 10 12 years ago before you made a billion dollars yeah right yeah you're gonna hop in your helicopter and go home and that's great i'm glad you're happy and listen these are a lot of really great people but yeah i do i struggle with that and as somebody who in i i failed a lot i failed faster i think that's my only secret sauce i'm just knucklehead who kept moving and had some success early and then lost everything and I, i had to restart essentially my entire life, right around my mid thirties, mm-hmm. late or er, early thirties. So I'm now almost I'm now approaching 50. I'm like f- almost 47. In fact, I was arguing mm-hmm. with my wife. I had my wrong age wrong. I thought I was older than I was. So I'm really <laughs> excited that I lost a year. So you no, know, you're not 47 yet. <laughs> so for me, it's an age thing. I always feel like I'm behind. Mm-hmm. So that's where I do my comparison. I'm like, oh, dude, this guy, Eric, he's 27 if I had just done this stuff one but I had a different path. I was yeah. doing my own thing at that point that other people were looking at. Like, Oh, I wish I could have, whatever. I don't know what they would have thought. Of. So that's where my comparison comes in. college comes up for me. A lot of comparison there, right? Like I was joking, but that's yeah. my insecurity coming out. I'm not, I, these guys can run circles around me. So those things all come up for me. And, and to your point about, You know, all the different opportunities and should I do this or do that or do this or do that? That has always been one of my great strengths and and biggest weaknesses because it's not so much can you do it? Because I think when you're wired in this way, the answer is probably yeah, you could do it, right? (laughs) It should you do it. Yeah. Um, And one, as I made some really important decisions about 10 years ago, I reset by asking all the, I've created this personal board, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know they're on it, but they're on my personal board. And I have about six people I call for any major decision because I know they'll call me on my bullshit. I know they'll challenge me. They won't tell me what I want to hear. I've got to pitch my case to them. And one of the best pieces of advice applies to what you just said is he said, you've done a lot of things through the years and you've figured out a way to grind through, Mm -hmm. but what if you threw all your weight behind one thing, all of it, you ate, slept, bled, breathed. everything is about this one thing and then go do the next thing, (laughs) right? Yeah, and, and there's a lot of truth in that. So I think when you can pick something and really throw all that weight behind it, there's a lot of value in there. When you're entrepreneurial, you get the itch. So you've got to figure out how to balance something that feeds your soul, but still get after that one thing. I don't, so yeah, covered a lot of ground there. I hope that makes sense. So part of that was like, where do I compare? But a part of that is, you know, that second half of where do I go? That frantic. Yeah. You know, the, uh, of entrepreneurs so
1: it's really interesting to me because i'm definitely in that same category to some degree where i'm much more likely to be constantly doing something or at the very least multitasking to some yeah. degree or another which is a yeah. gift yeah. and a yeah. curse right we'll get into this later because i, I want to ask you about focusing and meditation possibly but things like that but the other thing that i that struck me there was the idea that being able to lock in and say, this is what I'm focusing on for this amount of time. And yeah. what it sounds like to me is something longer term than maybe not just like a three month project, but maybe a couple years worth of your time is going right. to be sunk into this thing. And yeah. that's the only thing you're going to be trying. And right. I think for some people or most people, honestly, have a hard time thinking in longer time scales. Yeah,
0: and so that's changed
1: for like, sure. Like how do you keep that same level of focus or maybe even determination and probably discipline at the end of the day to Mm -hmm. stick with something for a long period of time, especially after you've, in quotes, fallen out of love with it.
0: Yeah. It's hard if you've fallen out of love with it. I think that's a little bit of a different topic. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll steal from a couple of people. I think Tony Robbins talks about burning the boats. So Mm -hmm. that's one way you just eliminate all other options, right? You go all in. So Mm -hmm. you don't you say no, you cut off, you you stop anything else, and you do that. Another way I've heard it described, and you may have even heard this podcast, but it was a Hugh Jackman, the actor, who I had no, I stumbled on this interview, and I'm like, this dude is amazing. And so mm-hmm. he talked about making a contract with yourself, right? When he was going to go to L.A., mm-hmm. and he started off, in, I think in musicals, and he's and he gave, I forget what the timeline was, but it was like I don't know. It was, three or five, you're like, I'm going to do this for this period yeah. of time. And if I'm not there, okay, I'm good. And you remove some of the weight from that, right? Yeah. And you just go, because that's where you start. When you start pressing, if you follow sports at all, mm-hmm. when you see an athlete press or a batter grip or a, a passer float their elbow, when you start pressing, that's when you start making mistakes. And entrepreneurs do that because you get forced into, oh, I need the next client. I need the next gig. I need the next billing, and you start making bad mistakes, chasing money. But when you've created that environment, that space to say, I got five years to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get a little messy. You give yourself a little grace there. And and I think a better chance at at getting through it. So those are a few things I I think. And then I think the other advice that helped me a lot was I got really hung up on being, you said, falling out of love with it. And I I can appreciate that because I'm a real passionate, emotional guy. Might have picked up on that. And so I, I was like dead set. I won't do anything unless I'm just passionate about it. And one of the things that was taught to me was like, you don't have to be passionate about the widgets you're making or just the output of the thing, but passionate about how you do it. what what version of yourself do you bring to your work how are you elevating the people around you are you leading is the room better when you walk in so Mm -hmm. that okay we make widgets or i make yetis or i make iphones or what who cares what it is yeah and then your success there can feed your passion projects Mm -hmm. as a podcaster as an artist as a singer a writer whatever so that's one of the little balancing tricks that i've found and i I could share another fun one later too that A friend gave me, it was pretty good. Yeah, that's really interesting.
1: I really like that. Just to back up too with the Hugh Jackman part of it is I grew up watching Hugh Jackman through his tenure as Wolverine. And so to have a podcast then where he lays out his story, which is going back to what you were saying about comparing yourself to other people who are successful or now successful. Yeah, And one of the things that I've always found interesting, being engineering and, and technology focused that I am, I... We look up to these people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Zuckerberg's of the world. But when I first started thinking about these things and really getting into this entrepreneurial category, which I still didn't consider myself when I was in my early 20s, I was just, these are fun stories to just mythical people. Yeah. I, I just thought of them was like, they were 20-something at one point in their lives, and they had no idea whatever they were creating was going to actually turn into what it is now, and they were going to be yeah. this huge notoriety figures. And yeah. so whenever I think about those kind of things, it's like everyone was just going along and doing what they thought was right for themselves. And so whether or not you become the next Elon Musk is neither here nor there because nobody really knows what's going to happen, you know? And it's, it just makes it interesting to, for me to to hear stories though of Hugh Jackman, because they just have this authenticity about them that the, yeah. it shows why, they are at the status that they're at because yeah. it's like the, who they are behind the scenes is almost as more in entertaining than who they portray themselves to be on the yeah. screen in some ways, which is who really, they
0: are, but also how they got there. I think we see the highlight reel. We yep. see the very last piece. The of, thin slice. Yeah. That thin slice. And, and it's easy to forget that for mm-hmm. sure. They're
1: just people too, at the end of the day,
0: <laughs> all of us, right. In social media too. Big in, Big challenge with that there. Oh, I've yeah. seen highlight reels for everybody. So. Definitely.
1: That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> I, I'm really big yeah. in just the idea of like, how do we contextualize our experiences in a way that we can understand that even if someone like disagreements and things like that are working with people, we're talking about cooperation here as an entrepreneur, yeah. right? As much as we like to be solo, you still have to Communicate with people, even you have to have yeah. a customer or a client and things like that, and so you have to be able to navigate these interpersonal things that are just not clean.
0: You know, you mean, you, you mean humans have to talk? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Here?
1: Yeah, okay, definitely.
0: Right. Man, you, you I preach on. I'm good with that. That's it is. It's an art that's being lost, no doubt, but it's probably another podcast. Definitely,
1: sure. it's part of the reason I actually why this even exists because I feel like with social media the idea that you can understand complex things such as people in in very short amounts of time is just not true. You have to have many interactions or long form interactions with people to really understand who they are and what they're all about. Yeah, And it's a skill. It's really a skill.
0: (laughs) It is a skill and there's a lot of truth. In fact, our our teams, I was sharing with them, I don't want to get into politics, but one of the things I find fascinating is watching communication and how it works in different environments for different people in different ways. Mm-hmm. What I reminded them is, it doesn't matter where what you're watching, it just happened to be fascinating to watch there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's the 7:38:55 rule that went back to a study done in the 60s. And so what it demonstrated was what percentage of how we communicate is what's received or, or mm-hmm. the importance of the parts of communication. Mm-hmm. In this, this two-part study that was done, and I forget the doctor's name. But essentially, 55% of what we communicate is body language. Mm-hmm. So to your point, if you don't have interpersonal communication, you're losing over half of what I'm saying. So most people will probably never see the video you're recording right now. But yep. you and I, it's probably helping our communication a little bit. The fact that you showed up in your underwear is a little weird. But that's cool. Whatever. <laughs> that's fine. So no, just continue <laughs> to do that. <laughs> um, and then 38% of it is tone, right? So you have a great tone. You're very conversational, you're very comfortable. You've made me feel comfortable. And, and but if we were just writing this back and forth, 7% of what we communicate are the words. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that, we wonder why my kids and I, or when we text each other or we're emailing around social media, we're getting 7% of what we're trying to get across. That's why we need emojis and all this other crap. Yep. Because the words aren't enough. But a smiley face or a rocket ship or whatever is not enough either. You need the tone. So yep, yeah, that con- contextualizing you're talking about is a real thing. And it is a real skill that you've got to work on for sure. Sorry you yeah. nerd out on that. No, least, I,
1: I love that, honestly. And I definitely, I probably read that study somewhere before. Too many things to remember at this point. And I do find that interesting because I've been using Zoom to to do these, but i I made it make a point to use my camera more often now, even though I don't use the recordings as often for posting this, but I I do find it it does aid in these conversations, not only just for more natural conversation, like where you can go back and forth, detecting when someone's done with their sentence and things like that. And I, it's really interesting for me too, just because I just think about in this scenario that we're all stuck behind screens more often than we've ever been before. Granted, it was going that way, but now it's like these little things that you can do to help bridge that gap help at least alleviate some of those limitations, which yeah, is we're conducting this experiment on mass scale right now and in 10 years from now we'll figure out more but <laughs> yeah we will we
0: we will. <laughs> all kinds of new terms and acronyms and right exactly and who knows what else fancy so.
1: fancy yeah. studies will be done with people with yeah. alphabet soup to have their, after their name yeah,
0: that's right someone <laughs> will spend 10 million dollars on a study to tell you being on the screen helps. helps right? R- yeah, yeah
1: exactly and i don't know like that's really where a lot of this stuff goes for me is this how do we Rather than having to do all of the studies that expensive and things, it's how do you take the things from people's lives, such as yourself, and say, here's what seems to be working for me. You don't have to take it at face value, but it might sound like something you're dealing with just enough in your life, and you can run with it.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's it sounds yeah.
0: – it's super – A friend of mine always talks about it like a buffet. I'm going to lay it all out. Oh. Uh, take what works for you. Yep. Just walk down the line and grab the – That's a good, good one.
1: Stuff. That's a really good one. I like that. I never even – I haven't thought about it that way before, but that's a good idea. Yeah. It's, there you go. It's interesting Sweet. for me, and it sounds like you—you're as much a student as I am with all of these things. Just being able to listen to people at the very least, and how did how do you either have like mentors in your life? You've already mentioned a couple of like groups of people that you've yeah. that have influenced you, but. Is there, is there a process or people that you remember that really impacted your life that helped you push your path and and just being open to suggestion, I guess, maybe, I don't know what the, the correct word that I'm searching for here is, but it's, you have this ability to be a beginner, it seems, or just more open to that.
0: Mm. So I'm glad I fooled you. That's good. Um, (laughs) Because I was terrible at that for most of my life. would ask for advice. And then I'd go do what I was going to do anyway, because if you agreed, then I validated. And if you disagreed, I'd show you were wrong. I was just that <laughs> headed. So it took a lot of pain and a lot of failure and a lot of harder roads than they needed to be to go, mm-hmm. okay, I do need to be a student. I do need to be willing to... To learn and receive differently, not just outwork everybody and prove everybody wrong and have a chip on my shoulder all the time. It served me well in some ways. It helped me have some mm-hmm. early success, but it made things a lot harder than it needed to be. Did you enjoy being like that? It the- helped me there for sure. Probably my best mentor is my wife. Like she decodes me very quickly and knows how to reach me quickly. Mm-hmm. And I've learned as a good husband should to listen to that. I think the answer to your question directly, though, is if I were to think back through the different chapters, there's always the rocks, like my wife or my mom, Mm -hmm. but and then like my best friends. Very fortunate to have the same crew I've run with since like middle school. Like same group of guys. That's awesome. But professionally, I just have been lucky to stumble on or not be shy about asking for help with someone at each step along the way mm-hmm. it, that was patient enough with my knuckleheadedness to help me. Mm-hmm. And then as I got better to help me just grow exponentially. So in other words, in the early days when I wasn't leveraging that wisdom, like I should have been, they were patient enough to still help me stay out of my own way. Mm-hmm. And then as I've gotten, I think, better, as it happens with age, um, <laughs> better at listening, I'm not better necessarily what I do, but I'm better at listening and learning, I think. That process is just way faster and more fun now. Right? Yeah, because definitely. I just have a different lens on than I mm-hmm. used to. And there'll be another one in 10 years from now where I'll go, man, in my 40s, I was a knucklehead, right? <laughs> What if I had listened to that? So, yeah, so I've been really fortunate. I didn't have a strong father figure in my life. And so I think that in some way became a strength of mine to seek out mentors. Most, not all, most of them were men that just happened to be how it happened for me. It's mm-hmm. not good, bad, or wrong, I'm A very close relationship with my mom and, and obviously with my wife. But yeah, I've had a really significant, wonderful, just brilliant humans in my life at each step along the way. Mm -hmm. That without whom I, (laughs) I, they single-handedly got me through a lot of my own mistakes, no doubt.
1: I appreciate that. And I I think it's interesting too, because we, I, I think it takes a certain amount of reflection and I don't know. For you, this like the chip on your shoulder, you mentioned it there. Was it something that you enjoyed to be like the underdog or yeah. just like shouldering yeah, through? Let's go. <laughs> did you yeah. play football? It sounds like a football. I, foot. I was
0: very competitive. I wasn't a football guy. I was more of a board sport, water okay. sport guy. But I as a kid, I played baseball and did all the normal yeah. stuff. But even that, I liked to do the things everyone wasn't doing. In high school, everybody would go Off on spring break and they'd go to Cancun, I'd go to water ski camp, whatever. (laughs) So I just surfed instead of this or that and and just always you had a rebellious
1: streak too. You're just a little bit of
0: Yeah, as rebellious as a blonde haired, blue-eyed kid living in Northern California could get, I guess. And it wasn't like a crazy (laughs) thing, but I like to be different. I like to be the underdog, Mm -hmm. but closed me off to a lot of learning opportunities because i was more because then it becomes very centrally focused right okay oh this is all about me now you don't like all right let's go let's do this and you make bad decisions or you surround yourself with bad people and you and you make it harder than it needs to be
1: yeah i mean it's interesting it just clicked there it's like this over fascination with the who you are is what you do and separating separating that identity is really hard especially when you're younger naturally, because you just look at yourself and equate who you're physically are and how you physically can do things in the world to what you're capable of, which is not entirely true, at least not really. And especially now with the psychology that's there, you can really pick that apart and, and help people really separate them. And I think that sounds like, that's what it sounds like happened for you. is like you started at at this really self-centered, not to, use that word, but it is a self-centered no, worldview. And so you have to deconstruct that. And I think it's normal too, especially for someone in the United States with the pick yourself up from your bootstraps mentality and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it was a fuel for me. Like you, Sometimes you
0: just grab whatever you can to mm-hmm. push you forward. And for me, that was a, a motivator. It's kind of like how Coaches, so use your, go back to your football analogy, mm-hmm. what do they call it, bulletin board material? They'll look for any reason to get the team pissed off about something mm-hmm. someone said that probably is totally out of context, just to get that energy moving. Yeah, that so makes sense. for me, it was a fuel. I think I, I also, I think one thing I've learned and trying to get better at it is I would push myself so hard out of fear of failure rather than chasing something like joyous and wonderful. And in that transition is so powerful when you can shift that it's such a negative energy to always be grinding through because you're just fearful of losing or not. And so it'll drain you down for, for sure. Yeah. That's when your self-worth is attached to that, it's a quick stumble down the hill because it's not just now I didn't make it in this business. It's I'm a failure. Everything I did to this point's a waste. Blah, blah, blah. And I've been there. I've been there been there a few times.
1: Yeah. I didn't even think about it that to that level, but it that is so true. It's it's so easy once once you've wrapped that up that once like the, the axe falls, so to speak, then it's just the house of cards falls over, all the way down to the bottom. It's all tied together. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's
0: a dangerous game, and I absolutely played it. No no doubt. During some of my darker times, I lost everything, and I actually hid from my friends for a, almost two years. Like I was embarrassed to be around them. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't care when I was quote unquote successful they certainly didn't care when I wasn't. They don't care. It's like, right. am I there and do I have beer? It's all good. <laughs> but me, that's my
1: internal
0: yeah. voice just going, Oh, Hey, which is not good.
1: Yeah. I, I think it doesn't matter who you are. It's, and there will be points when things fall and you're going to have to pick yourself up and put the pieces back together. And so for you, do you remember some of the things that you did to help, just thematically, that helped you get back on track and at least just an ability to function in a way that it wasn't just this weight hanging over you. It wasn't a dumpster. How did I put out the dumpster fire? Is yeah. What basically. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's a great question.
0: It, it was different at different periods. The way I've described this in the past is in my 20s, the way I ha- handled it is with anger. So I just got mad and I built, I, I was quite successful building stuff mad, but it, I was not a fun person to be around, yeah. but I, it was exactly that. I'm going to show you, you took this from me. I'm going to take this from you. I'm going to not just be you. I'm going to bury you. That was my mentality. Mm-hmm. So I picked myself up by getting mad and just grind for a decade, put my wow. head down and went built it all back. But it comes back around again, and, and you're right. Welcome to 2020. Everyone's gone through this stuff. So I was a casualty in in, in the financial crisis a dozen mm-hmm. years ago. And much like 2020 felt like in a way that came out of nowhere, even though it was a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. I think the difference for me is I've gotten older, and the single smartest thing I ever did, and I remember where it was, because I think for a lot of us, we have a defining moment. I think those are oftentimes brought by pain or fear. I was at a funeral, I was giving the eulogy for my grandfather, and someone in the audience was a very successful investor uh, in the Silicon Valley that's connected to my family. Mm -hmm. And he was checking in on how you doing, this and that. And he mentored me and he was one of the guys I never listened to. Like, why would I not listen to this guy who's made bazillions of dollars? I'm smarter. And I remember driving home with my wife and I said, I need to ask for help. So the single best thing I've ever done to get out of that is I humbled myself and I asked for help and I listened and it changed everything, opened up all the doors and ultimately landed me where I am today because of that moment of finally being open to asking for help because I always had seen that as weakness. Mm -hmm. Which looking back is ridiculous, (laughs) but that was just how I wired myself. Yeah.
1: It's I'm laughing because it's that great story, right? Like you, no matter who you are, we all have that moment where we think we know what's better, what's better for us. And and no matter how that wise person who you should be listening to, it's, you gotta be ready to receive the knowledge, so to speak. And just find it so important that we take stock of what our own shortcomings are. Cause we can be the smartest person or we can be doing successful things. But at the end of the day, it's, are you aware of the, the path that you're on? And I might remember similarly similar for myself that I would remember having to go to school and I was felt like I was in this hamster wheel of like, all I do is go to work and go to school and then drive back and mm-hmm. forth. And it's like right. a, a Groundhog Day effect. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm just in my car all of the time and I never do anything else. And I just had this like idea of like future me would be 35 and be successful, but there, that deeper thing wouldn't be fulfilled. Mm. So there would be something missing, but I would have all of those outward examples of success, whatever that may be, money, home, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I was like, there's gotta be something more. And that was what legitimately put me on the path of this. Because okay. I I was just I just felt like not only that I needed to figure out for myself, but in a selfish way, but also to there's so many other people that still do that to this day. Yeah. It doesn't matter who how old you are. It's yeah. like we're all searching for something. <laughs> it's true.
0: Good for you, man. To recognize that, to to actually take action on it. For some people that won't be a podcast. That'll be doing that painting, mm-hmm. that will be applying for that internship, that will be taking that vacation. It mm-hmm. will be I have a colleague who just told the story today about how she just competed in a bodybuilding competition. She doesn't even like wearing it, it just and won like first place and wow. is trying like, oh, to go pro. It just, but she's scared to death to even talk to people. Yeah. It, it, it's cool. I, I'll add one more thing though, going back to, to this point we're making is when you're, when, why we don't receive that information or the mm-hmm. feedback or the wisdom at that time, we talked about connecting our self-worth to who we are, what we're doing, or our, or our current state, yeah. and sometimes we're not only are we all in, we've burned the boats, we are dug in, and when you hear advice that says, "Dude, <laughs> this is not going to end well," yeah, your you, your fight or flight is I'm gonna. My initial thing was I can't run, I ain't got no boat, so now I'm gonna <laughs> fight you. I'm gonna prove uh, you wrong, and I'm gonna double down. And I yeah. remember. And we've joked about it now. <laughs> a great mentor of mine, it was like 2006. We were heavily invested in real estate all along the West Coast, right? Like 12 rental homes, and we were doing flips and rehabs like everybody else on Earth. And he's like the a real estate mentor of mine. He's like, listen, the market's going to crash. I'm going to go, what? Dude, you are nuts. Now I'm telling this super crazy successful real estate guy who's done this since 1980 that he doesn't know what he's talking <laughs> about. It's going to drop to 50%. And I'm thinking, I'm like leveraged to my eyeballs. We got all kinds of craziness going on. I'm like, there's no way. I wasn't listening to what he was saying. I was already in fight mode. And we argued that day and didn't talk for two years Wow! because you know why he was right. And it was a painful lesson for me. And had I listened better that day, I could have probably recovered faster or, but you know, it, but I was dug in, I was all in and then I doubled down to just protect myself and uh, and endured a heck of a lot more pain than I needed to. Yeah. And, but we're, we have all, we've hugged and made <laughs> up. About
1: it You have this great capacity to at some point rebuild and, and at least come yeah, maybe back.
0: Maybe I'm not a builder, I'm a rebuilder. So the to title of your podcast for this one could be like, Don't do this. That should be the title of this <laughs> episode. I've made a lot of mistakes. I, yeah, I'm lucky that I've had the fortitude to, to jack things up in and, and at least I've been lucky enough to keep going forward. I, I am grateful for that. It's, but I would, <laughs> I, there's better ways. I guess it's what I'm hoping people get out of this crazy story. I, so
1: I think this is, I think this is a lot of people's lives. Everything I think has this peaks and valleys, so to speak, and everyone's speed bumps are different sizes, but they're still speed bumps and it's, right. it's the, big o- yeah, it's, it's, even if it's the biggest thing you've ever dealt with, I like to think of stress as like a threshold, like a high water mark, And yeah. you can't compare my stress to your stress because who knows what your limit's been. Cause if you're someone yeah. who's served in active combat, your thresh st- like threshold is through the roof versus someone right. who's never been in active combat situation. And maybe the worst thing you've <laughs> dealt with is a yelling customer, whatever that yeah. might be. And so your reaction to it is still could be the same type of reaction on magnitude. And so I I think it's really important because I think this, it gives a lot to people to, to think about in the very least, just being willing to humble yourself and and putting the ego at bay. I'm reminded of Ryan holiday's book, ego is the enemy Mm -hmm. just listening to you. And it's, it, I think it does hold true to most of us, especially people who are entrepreneurial in that nature, because we like to just do things and get our hands dirty and, yeah. Just, just yeah. be in it. Like we just, some, <laughs> to some degree, we just like getting our elbows deep into something and absolutely digging yeah. your own graves sometimes. <laughs> and,
0: there, and there's nothing wrong with going all in. It's just, you gotta be aware of what's going on around you too. And, yeah.
1: And
0: be open to that. So, I, yeah, I think it too, count.
1: you've had a good, it sounds like to me, you've had a good support system too, which. which... I have. And I'm very fortunate to have that. No doubt. Yeah. Because that, I think that's really important is just having people that are on your side. Like you said, is, even though you hid yourself, you had friends of yours that would be in your corner regardless. And yeah. I think that says a lot. We like to undercut those kind of people, especially when we think we've made a mistake because you think you failed in, the, in their
0: I, eyes. I remember explaining it to my best friend and I finally felt like – I was getting stabilized so I could at least have the conversation and I apologized. And I said, man, I know I haven't been around and here's what... and I'll remember the look he's like, that's why you weren't coming around. It was so silly to him. But yeah. on the flip side too, my wife, like there was a lot of marriages didn't make it through the financial crisis and they'll probably be the same thing going through 2020 yeah. for different reasons. And, and I empathize that. And I just, I'm very aware of the roller coaster I've pulled her on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that woman would have gotten a box with me and fought our way through it. And we did. And and so, yeah, you have to be aware of who you're also pulling along on that ride as well, right? Whether it's investors or it's spouses or kids or partners, or whatever it might be. But yeah, the support system is a key thing and something anybody can build.
1: Definitely. It, it, it's interesting to me. And we're—I cannot believe this—but we're already over an hour. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. I don't want to like make
0: this your enduro episode. <laughs>
1: no, it's totally good. Everyone's I- gonna look
0: at the title. Don't do this. This could be your best episode ever. <laughs> like most traffic, they're like, "What shouldn't I do?" <laughs>
1: right? Exactly. This could go on for many hours at this point because it, 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 <laughs> let's not do that today. I, <laughs> I know there will always be room for round two in, in a later date. But I'd, um, I'd love to
0: come back. It'll be th- fun.
1: This has been really enjoyable for me. Just a couple more questions to wrap up. And one of my favorite ones to ask is you've already mentioned a couple books, but do you have any books that you've either gifted to other people or just have impacted you greatly that maybe you reference regularly or not? It could be nonfiction or fiction.
0: Yeah, I like to reference books just to sound smart, but I'm (laughs) not much of a reader. I'm uh, so true. All right. So true fact, like I've never read a nonfiction book. Wow. Like outside of school. My wife hey. gives me a hard time about, or I'm sorry, a fiction book. First, gotcha. I yeah. only do nonfiction. Sorry. Yeah. So my wife gives me a total hard time about that. <laughs> like, how do you not do something fun? I don't know. I don't I'm also much more of a listener, so I'm a. But I'm one of those guys who counts listening to a book as reading a book. Just so I'm being fully transparent here. Okay. Most gifted book, The Art of Happiness, written by the Dalai Lama and Howard Cutler, Dr. Howard Cutler. That was a great one. That was. At a low point. And it was the first time someone like it was awesome. It was like the Dalai Lama going just super philosophical and just he's so beautiful with his language around kindness and and, and self-awareness. And then you have this psychologist going. Okay, but here's what happens on Monday morning when you're in traffic <laughs> and you're pissed off. I'm like, this is so good, right? Because yeah. you would typically read one or the other. It was the first book that really blended that approach I, I loved. That's a big one. The, the best one I've read recently was The the Algebra of Happiness, oh. and that was Scott Galloway. Okay. And that, again, for a slightly different reason that, again, about happiness, which is something I study a lot, as I try and get better. pursue that myself but he took a very practical approach to it and you could probably do the math to figure out how many more times you will see your parents yep or that you'll get to get on an airplane or do you know what Mm -hmm. it was a it was an eye-opening thing to go whoa there's there he's so he had a really unique take on it that one was really impactful so those would be probably two that come to mind right away
1: yeah those sound awesome i really like the especially the Dalai Lama one to mesh the two together. I think that's really, it was great. Yeah. It sounds really it was fascinating. good, it um, was good And then this is a question I like to ask. Initially, this was because most people that listen to this are about my age group in their early twenties or so, but now I've changed it a little bit, but it's any advice you would have to either a young person just entering the working world or to now mm. someone in 2020 that now finds themselves in a situation that they have to, adapt and switch gears possibly.
0: Yeah. The pivot. Yeah. Oh man. First, I am very careful about giving advice. So I think I always like to preface this with, this is more from my experience than it is advice. Mm -hmm. And also if you are that person who's, it's the same pressure a student feels, but it's more real when you have a mortgage and, Definitely. kids in in this persona maybe you've attached to so if you're going through that man i empathize and i've been there my first thing i'd say is you're gonna be all right like that you are and you have to start there because it's scary shit to go as i did from a four thousand square foot house in a porsche to living in your in-laws basement with no job and no money yeah. and being millions of dollars in debt it's a humbling experience it'll scare the shit out of you quite frankly so you have to know it's going to be all right. You got to start with that baseline for those. And remember, pivots happen every day. And the innovators are the ones winning right now. I have some very close friends that opened up a restaurant this year. And... They're gonna be all right, but it's gonna be a different path than they anticipated. They've done this for 40 years. They know how to do it, but it's different. I I thought, so going back to the general, I wanted to address that because that's very personal and emotional for me because that's a tough spot to be in. I think for students, don't be in a hurry and don't be afraid to fail. Give more than you take and listen more than you talk and don't compromise on two things. Love or happiness. Don't compromise. If you're doing your litmus test, you're doing your Ben Franklin, and you're trying to figure out the job, you're like, this manager is an asshole, but the pay is really (laughs) good. I'll tell you how the story ends. You will not say right and because you'll want the next big thing so my experience finds that you can you don't have to compromise that doesn't mean you shouldn't be worth that dollar amount or do the job you love just go find the right fit Mm -hmm. so don't compromise on happiness don't compromise on love those would be my three parting gifts
1: (laughs) i love that it's so good and and then just a caveat the first part of that too I, i really appreciate you vocalizing that. I haven't had anyone who's shared that part of it before. And I think it's a really important thing to say. And I think more people need to hear it. I I don't know how many people hear it right now. Yeah. hear people who say that I'm rooting for you at the very least.
0: hundred percent, man. And and not only am I rooting for you, but that their story is what will be on here in a year (laughs) or two. That's the story that's going to be told. That's going to be the The Phoenix story, the people who came through and you were what you lost this. (laughs) There's industries that are gone, they will never be the same and never be back. Yeah. But there'll be industries that'll be born. Who would have thought the restaurant down the street would deliver stuff to my house and I wouldn't even have to talk to them like two years ago? It's crazy, but it's scary and it's very real. And it and in a world where it's already hard to keep your shit together when that stuff folds on top. You just got to start baseline and be like, dude, you're not alone. You didn't do anything wrong and you're going to be all right. And now let's go to work, ask for help, reach out. (laughs) And you start doing some of the things you've been talking about.
1: Yeah, I love it, honestly. And your mindset and just your ability to empathize with people is amazing. And I, I can see why what you do and how you're able to communicate with people to help build businesses comes through and even in this conversation it it really goes to show just the being a leader to some degree which is a skill in its own and i just really appreciate it honestly just the the candid nature of this entire conversation because it's like the gas was hit and it didn't even
0: let up this whole time uh um, yeah, it's all good it, it, you got to create that environment i appreciate it and i want to say you read that script just perfect just the way i wrote it for you to say that so that was perfect so <laughs> No, man, it's all all good. We just got to be good to each other. And I'm grateful for you. Listen, man, it's a treat for me. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. If I could, I, I always feel a little weird. Who would want to leave and listen to me? So I, if there's something, to, a nugget here that helps one person mission accomplished, but mm-hmm. for you, I keep doing what you're doing, man. This is important work and, thank, and thank it you. is making a difference. So appreciate the time.
1: Yeah. And then just for final closing is where can people connect with you?
0: Yeah. I've always wanted to be asked that question. It's so exciting. Now. Uh, I feel like I should have my little, I'd like to thank the academy. So I'm at B sharp, the letter B sharp online, pretty much on all social media, but our little blog is called helpandhustle.com. So I do some blogging there and do, uh, we have a podcast called high performance happiness. It's on all the platforms. We're just getting underway. It's been a super blast. So you might dig that too,
1: but yeah, that's what we're up to. Cool. Thanks again, Brian. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Eric, man. Appreciate you. I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model that I believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure which allows you the listener to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing that is either a 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 a month meaning that you the listener and me the creator can be transparent about how much value you see in our content and by doing so that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast, but I love it. And I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening and I hope you enjoy.